afternoon or good evening. You are listening to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patrick Grimion. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you in some way to do something out of your comfort zone that gets you one step closer to achieving your dream. And if you like the show and want to be notified when the latest episodes are released, please hit that like and subscribe button. I hope you enjoy the episode. But everybody's kind of looking around and saying, what the hell's going on? So, And nobody's asking the question, why are we doing this? That's not entirely true. People are asking. Well, people are saying, gee, I'd like to change things, but... There, there are folks who say, we've always done it this way. So why change And so it? how do we overcome that? We have some professors. We have some uh, some staff and administration who are sort of like um, reaching the age when they're going to retire in the next couple of years. And that allows people who are younger with uh, perhaps different ideas to come in and move things in a different direction. But it's a big ship. And it's hard to change course on a dot. What's up, everyone? We are thrown smack dab in the middle of a conversation in this super intense episode with my good friend, Larry Heimendinger. Now, he has a long list of accomplishments, is most recently become a national board member of the LSU Foundation. He is also a member of the Dean's Advisory Council for the College of Business He's the owner of Tech Events, as well as a guest lecturer for the LSU Stevenson Entrepreneurial Institute, and just a super, super long list of so many other acclimates. I just wanted to give you a brief introduction of who Larry is. We are having a conversation about the entrepreneurial culture that exists on the LSU campus, and where we see it going, as well as kind of where it came from, and Larry gives some unique insight into that aspect, and I just had a blast having this conversation and spending the time with Larry. So I hope you enjoy this episode almost as much as I enjoy recording this. Thanks. Yeah, or in a, within any period of time, it just takes yeah. time to do it. I mean, how long did it take them to get the to get the entrepreneur think tank or whatever they have on the third floor done. Yeah, that was a, a couple of years to uh, to actually turn that into something. It was kind of tucked away into a corner. It was a, a bit of an afterthought, and now it's becoming more of a thing, but definitely not promoted or used as it should be. I, I walked by it maybe four times since Monday afternoon, and uh, one person was in there once. Wow. So, you know, it, it should be a thing where people are clamoring to get in. should be like the garage at Microsoft. That was crazy. Yeah. I mean, that... You should have seen it this year. They added a whole bunch of stuff. And there's now a VR room. It's a video production room where you go in. And I mean, it's a small little space. It's not meant for a lot of people. Um, and they have... You can hit a button and have one or all of three blue screens drop down on three sides so that you can do blue screen video and then you can um, and you can make a video for anything. You want to do one for your daughter's birthday, you could do that. You want to do one for your boss, you could do that. You wanted to do a prototype of something you would like Microsoft to use in marketing, you can do that. So there's you can then email it out, you can have editing software, you can do all kinds of things in there so you can do the production and post-production 
all in that one little room and anybody can come in and use it. Any like any employee at Microsoft yeah. or are they open to Well no any public? employee at Microsoft. Okay. Yeah, you you gotta be bad to get bad. in the door. Um, and then in the VR room they've they've added a lot of new things. So they've got a lot of new Halo technology and um, um, some new software that does some VR uh, realizations and things of that sort. So it, it was pretty impressive. Wow. And they've done all that within a year. Yeah. Since we were there. Yeah. Well, they actually have a few resources. <laughs> a few resources and a lot of people pushing to make it happen. Uh, it, it has become, so Sadia has come in and said, the garage is actually the statement of velocity, which is everybody should be empowered to bring new ideas forth and work on them in a, in a collective, collaborative fashion. And so you're not just siloed at your cubicle or at your desk doing your job. Your job is to do everything that we do. And so the idea of the garage is the place wherever you are. Right. It is a state of mind rather than just a place. And it's become a Microsoft thingy. So, so now somehow i got to find a way to get LSU to think in a similar light and make a change yeah, towards it. Yeah, I think it's certainly in the, uh, at the uh, at the entrepreneurship um, effort, the idea to do that would be great. Now, I've, I've talked to some faculty members who say, we ought to have space in the student union. And it should be big glass front. It should be like a very welcoming place like to lure kindergartners in, right? I mean, it should be the same way you would lure kindergartners into a fun playroom that would lure students in to go like, hey, what's going on here? Why? why maybe I should get involved. Maybe I've got, I'm, I'm a music major and I could wonder how to use some technology in music or maybe bring music to a marketing program or visual arts to, you know, to some tech guys you know, who are slinging code or doing physics research or whatever. So the idea that you bring in multiple disciplines with multiple ranges of interest and let them learn to collaborate and create something bigger than they could have created as a bunch of individuals by working in a group and make it fun, make it an exciting place to come. And I think that's a long way from from what's actually going to happen. Yeah. And and the, one of the... One of the things that I think is a real tough hill to climb is that a lot of things are siloed in the university. So engineering has its own kind of maker lab. Yeah, they've got yeah, you know, so they've got the some three D yeah. printers and some things of that sort in there, and that the, you know there are labs in the in the College of Science. Uh, there's the in, uh, innovation lab in the uh, the what's Forgot exactly what they're in calling a, it. Innovation in, Park? In, or? No, 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 no. Oh, in LSU. Yeah, in the in the rotunda. It's not. It's the something like whatever it is, whatever it's called. Um, and and so so everybody's got a little piece of the action. And you know the idea of maybe putting those things together and having some joint responsibility for it doesn't seem to play well. Uh, it's like nah, you're ta- you're taking something away from me, and I have to give you something. And that border system doesn't seem to be well endowed with a lot of trust. Yeah, well, especially how the, 
departmentalized they are. Yeah, well, that's like, exactly they want right. the engineering department to take credit for something. They want the entrepreneurship department to take credit for something, but they can't seem to get off of that and say, let's look at this more from a university whole approach. Well, and I think it's also that that kind of, that kind of direction needs a champion. And that champion needs to not be in any one of those groups, but to sort of be more of an uber champion. So maybe at at the top level, administrative level of the of the college of the of the university, you could say, "Hey, we need to get all of you deans together to to make this happen." That's one part of it. The other part of it is that there are so many things to do. There are so many agendas to complete. There are so many agendas to build that that's probably not right way high on the list. And I don't think the university has developed that look and feel for itself internally or externally where it might be this sort of thing you'd see at MIT and the MIT Media Lab um, or at Caltech or Stanford or someplace like that um, where there are people who really have that as their primary focus. Um, um, And they're going to be driving it. Whereas that's not part of the culture at LSU at this point, you know, or it is siloed in different cultures here without being more of a more of a global thing. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw that when I was there, it was yeah. just, okay. Like they talked about having the harmon, the harmonization of having the, the engineering department come in, inviting more engineering students, inviting more art students. But, you know, there was never, I guess, any, action that took place. It was always talk when I was there. Yeah. So I met with the dean at College for Engineering today and okay. the associate dean. And we, we talked about this and we started talking about this and then we kind of got sidetracked talking about engineering. And it was great. It yeah. was a wonderful conversation and I really learned a lot about uh, philosophy. Dean is, is an amazing lady. He came from Princeton. Mm-hmm. He's got, you know, an incredible engineering pedigree. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, very highly focused on making sure that her college runs like a clock. Uh, they've got a large student population relative to some other colleges. And there's a lot of need that they have to, to supply. And they've got a pipeline through corporate sponsorship from Chevron, Shell, other places to that go like, we really want to come grab your graduates and petroleum engineering, chemical engineering, mechanical and structural engineering, and that sort of thing. So they're pumping those people out. Right. And it doesn't leave them much room to then look and say, well, how can we help other colleges and how can we turn our success into successes of other disciplines when they are still struggling to reach their own success? And I see that replicated in, in the different silos, in college to college, everybody's got their plate full, and it's not yet uh, a thing um, for a number of reasons to, you know, all be pulling the big wagon train together. But what do you think is it ever going to get that way? Like, what would happen? Because everybody's always I don't know, only have a few full. years left to live. <laughs> I mean, everybody's always has their plates full. Anytime you ask anybody, they've got, oh, my plate's full. I don't know if we can take that on. But is there ever a point in which people's plates become unfull? Well, I would probably answer that 
in a different way than you asked the question by saying that priorities shift. You know, circumstances cause a shift in priorities. And so what happens is your plate never gets unfull to have room for something else. You shove something off your plate to allow another thing to slide onto your plate. And that's a change in priorities. So what would it take to make a change in priority like that happen? Me being king? <laughs> being in a position to have it. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know the answer to that. And I think it's a very complex situation. The more I find out about it, the more broad I think its implications are, the more complex it seems to be. <clears throat> so, for example, some things are restricted because of the legislature. The right. legislature has said... You must do this, mm -hmm. right? There are some things that are restricted by administrative policies of the school. The board of regents said you must do this. Some things, <coughs> sorry, some things are restricted because of the need for um, academic certification. You know, you got to be credentialed uh, as a university, so you have to then prepare and behave in certain ways for that. Then, then you have people who are running various of these silos who say, well, here are my priorities and objectives, and who's, who's you know, why would someone say, well, you've got, if, as long as they are aligned with the college and the programs and, and don't conflict with the other goals and objectives of the university, why should, at the provost or the president's level, for example, they come in and say, Oh, no, 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 your, your priorities are wrong. You need to come do this to work for some other college, which means I'm actually taking something off your plate that is beneficial to your job and asking you to do something that's not. And I think that's, um, as I would phrase it, perhaps putting words into somebody else's mouth, is that organizational change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. When it happens from the top down, there's resentment, mm -hmm. there's resistance. When it happens from the bottom up, it's organic, it just starts to happen, and you go, wow, maybe we should change things to be just like they are because they've all changed on their own. So it's a matter of finding enough students or people asking the questions, why don't we have this, why don't well, we have Well, that would be, if, if I was going to say that there would be a cultural change to make this happen, it would be because the student body comes in and demands some changes demands that they have things like this. And then there's going to be a quick and immediate response to that. Sure, we'll do something like that. Um, in some discussions I've had this week and some during the summer and um, not on campus, but in that, one of the recurring things that I keep hearing uh, as we talk about new ideas mm -hmm. is, you know, it's kind of always been done this way. And it's really hard to get people to change. Is... And and so what probably restating that in a different way and being less polite about it would be to say, hey, I'm younger and I've gotten experience somewhere else and I see that it's been very successful there and this is a new trend and I think it would be very cool. I don't have the power or authority uh, to, to move that ship. And so we're just going to have to give it time. And as as we go through generational changes of new faculty, new administration coming in, and new students coming in and seeing the world change around us, you know, it can happen. So I was doing a lecture today, and we were talking about that. So the topic was the history of money. 
Mm-hmm. So we started rather recently at about 10,000 BC and moved forward to, <laughs> through through today. And we were talking about today. So I, I kind of wrapped it up uh, by, you know, electronic money, where we are today, how our economies seem to be the same but completely different from they were 100 years ago, 250 years ago, and maybe what the maybe have some predictions about the future. So we talked about the population of billionaires in the world. So from 1987 to 19, uh, 2019, it went from 140 to almost 2,200. Wow. And the wealth of the billionaire population in 1987 was about 300 billion, and it's now 8.7 trillion. Um, there are, um, uh, China is producing two billionaires a week. Really? Yeah. There's 100 members of the Chinese parliament that are billionaires. And 20 years ago, China had zero. Now they got 500 and something. There's number two in nations for billionaires. We're number one. Um, and one of the students asked a question at the end was, so we, I talked a bit about how this impacts wealth gap and the difference between labor and, and capital uh, and wealth accumulations and things of that sort. And so one of the students asked a question was, well, things seem to be pretty bad about the wealth gap. What do you, how do you, what do you think is going to happen? And I went, you know, we could try to use history as a predictor of the future, but for goodness sake, um, you know, what we have is a history of, uh, uh, the, the, his, the history that we have is people ignoring history. By saying, "Well, it's you know, we'll just do this again because it worked for a while," without looking at saying, "But then it failed," uh, or then we got ourselves into an uncomfortable circumstance. So <clears throat> it's insanity, but let's do it again. Just give it another try. It might be different this time. Yeah, I mean, expect a different outcome. Um, and uh, I, so we kind of launch from that. I sort of launch from that into a different discussion of. What would be the ways of curing it? So you had John D. Rockefeller, you had Andrew Carnegie that that actually amassed wealth equivalent to more than three times the richest guy in the world, Jeff Bezos has now. So he's worth about 120 billion, and they were worth in today's money about 350 plus billion. So uh, Andrew Carnegie gave most of his money away. He sort of self-cured his problem, um, and. Uh, John D. Rockefeller met Teddy Roosevelt, who trust busted, and broke up Standard Oil and and reduced that that wealth. But he ended up still with an incredible amount of wealth uh, that went into trust and got passed down, still around. Um, there there have been, if you looked at France, uh, they had a revolution in the late uh, part of the 18th century. Uh, primarily based on, on on disparities of wealth, but also somewhat in a disparity of power. They were against the royalty, that sort of thing, and the power of the church, uh, and so forth. So we could have a revolution. We could have, you know, some sort of, of uh, you know, uh, civil unrest, whether it's violent or nonviolent. I don't think any of those things are probably on the list, but you could look through history and say they have happened before. We have the Yellow Jackets in, in France. We've got the protest in Hong Kong. It's not unlike Vietnam. 
protest. You know, so I've got a history span in my life where I've seen things happen and I'm seeing them happen again and they kind of look and feel the same. Um, So you could say things that are happening in the economy uh, and our social attitudes toward about it now are kind of like what maybe happened in 2008, 2000, the run up to 2008. Oh, no, no, no. Everything's different now. No, we got it under control. So we'll see. <laughs> if you take that that kind of view and apply it to what we're talking about, about the university, what are the similarities and what are the differences between those? You know, are we going to try new things and then find out we're doing the same old thing again? Because old habits are hard to break. Uh, so we kind of, there, there was a, a joke about particular college I won't name, but we do play them at football. And they said, here's their IQ test. How many fingers? Now how many fingers? (laughs) I guess that doesn't come across. (laughs) Uh, But it's it's that sort of logic which says, we'll we'll just call it a new thing, or we'll treat it differently, or we've got a number of voices, you know, screaming over the the news media at us about how things are different. And then when people went out, but they're completely the same, maybe just a little bit worse. They go, oh, no, no, it's completely different. That used to be called this. Now it's called that. So we could have that situation in rotting change in in a state university environment, which would be, we're going to put it, you know, we're going to reorg and put a new, we're going to call this XYZ. We used to call it ABC. It'll be very different. It turns out not to be. Um, I'm not taking a pessimistic view of LSU doing that. I, in the few years that I've been back and active, I've seen really positive change going forward. I've seen things get a lot better. And I know that there are tons of smart, dedicated, and hardworking people trying to make that change be effective. So despite the sometimes Uber view, despite sometimes the frustration um, there's definitely, I think, a um, really pronounced forward progress that is in the right direction. It's taking the first steps right yeah. now. Yeah. So if you look at, you know, so you could do this from a data standpoint. You could do this from a, you know, statistics standpoint and say student body's getting bigger. Right. It's getting better in terms of GPAs and ACT scores. Um, it's getting more diverse. It's getting more inclusive. Uh, it's getting more international. So all of those things are kind of happening. And uh, uh, and I think there's opportunity to increase those things. So if you look at maybe the distribution curve of the, how the student population is being served. So on one end, you've got, you know, people that get into the honors college, right? Very high achievers, very high SAT scores, very, you know, good results. You've got people who go into engineering and, and college of science who have very high GPAs, have very high ICT scores and everything. And then you've got people who are doing well. They're not at that, you know, ra- uh, rarefied air level, but they're doing well and they're going into music and, and um, humanities and education and nursing and agriculture and on and on. And... Um, some of those are coming from um, families who've gone to college and had success and they want their kids to have the same thing. And some are first generation, first first family, uh, first family, person in college from their family ever. 
uh, and they're struggling financially and they're figuring out ways to do this. So the university has to serve all of those needs. Um, you can't just say, you can't be a Princeton or a Yale or, you know, baby Ivy and go, we're going to get, you know, 30,000 applicants and, and take 3%, 4% of uh, That would not be an First, that would not be an effective competitive advantage for LSU to take. And secondly, you couldn't make it work. And thirdly, it's mandated by the state that you serve a broader community as a state university. So um, I, I think there's kind of natural tension among serving those different diverse populations of how to do an excellent and superb job where you excel in serving all of them. You do have to be all things to all people, and that's that is a challenge. And balancing that is something that I think uh, people a lot smarter than I am are doing a good job of. Makes sense. Uh, makes complete sense. Yeah. So, so I mean, there and there's I mean there was a lot of progression just while I was there, in the sense of the two or three years that I was involved. I mean, it went from being a minor to now it's a major to now it's dual degree and it's getting traction while and, I was and there. And there's now post-bachelor uh, bachelor degrees. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're building some data analytics programs. You get a master's in data analytics and, and some other things that are follow-ons to this. And and there's now a mix of uh, on-campus physical classes and online classes where you can mix those. So if you're a student who is... Uh, maybe from a, a bunch of divisions. Maybe you have uh, some financial struggles of being a full-time student uh, and, and have to work. Um, you maybe have a family and you're back in school uh, or, or entering college to, to get a degree. Maybe you're a returning veteran you know, who has then family, family and work balance that you have to do. So the fact that you can take and, and some of your courses – on campus and some online means um, a, a huge benefit to, to people who are not able to come and spend their four years full-time on campus taking courses. may not be able to afford living on campus, but you don't have, have accommodations you have elsewhere. Um, you may need to have uh, put an extra effort in during the summer to take it so you can take some online courses in the summer where you couldn't be here. You got to go back home, work on the farm, whatever it is. So that movement um, is is a force multiplier to extend the resources of the of the university out to a broader group of people, and at the same time assure um, the people who are taking those courses, the people who are going to be empl- future employers of those graduates know that they're getting the same level and quality of education and that online coursework that they get in the classroom coursework. And so that takes a pretty big effort to do. And so you could do it in a different way and end up like some of the for-profit universities that went under or got a bad reputation. There's, you know, you're getting a paper degree that doesn't mean anything. You know, if you got the bucks, we'll give you the, the, the uh, diploma. Right. You know, so it reminds me of a joke when I was growing up at comic books. And there was always kind of like an ad at the back of the comic books. And one that was extremely popular was this, uh, I think it was Mr. Universe, and his name was Charles Atlas. 
And so he would always be there with these bulging muscles and his little tight bathing suit and everything. And the ad campaign that they ran was they had the skinny weakling, the little scrawny guy, getting sand kicked at his face by the big brute at the beach. And Charles Atlas was there and goes, I'll make you into a powerful guy. And so someone said, Dear Mr. Atlas, I just finished your course. Please send me my muscles. <laughs> so you you get the same sort of feeling, you know. So, yeah, I took all your online courses. Send me a degree in, you know, um, from the Minnesota School of Mortuary Science and Transmission Exchange or, you know, right. whatever it was going to be. And LSU definitely does not want to fall into that trap of saying, I, we because we broaden our approach, because we serve a broader community, we still need to serve them with equal accreditation, with equal quality. Right. And, I mean, it comes with, you know, a lot of weight comes with the name LSU, especially when you're a graduate or you're a professor. Or you're you, a you don't mean like waiting for a win over Alabama? <laughs> no. No, but <laughs> that's, that's a given. That's, under, that's understanding. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope we only have to wait two more weeks. Uh, same. Three more weeks, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely the case. You you want so one of the other challenging things since faculty will be doing uh, both the online courses and the in classroom courses. Um, you you want to have I mean, or it's very desirous to have a schedule synchronization so that if you're on campus taking courses in classrooms the schedule for your online classes should actually mimic that, should mimic the professor's time of day, instructor's time um, to, to be coincidental. And you want then you want the pace of those to continue depending on the semester cycle that's going on in campus. So during the summer, you want, you know, you've got two condensed sessions, so you want two online sessions that are shorter in duration but more intense. It's going to take more of your time per involvement in that. Then you have things like um, knowing that the person who's taking the course is actually the person who gets credit for it. Yeah. So uh, there, there. For example, there's some proxy software that can exist, which says you got a camera and a mic on your computer. So when you're taking the course, you're mm-hmm. taking a test <laughs> online, they can peer in and look at you and verify that you are who you say you are and you're, you're the person who's supposed to be there. Uh, and there was an incident uh, of someone doing that with his hands on the keyboard and everything, but they picked up whispering and apparently had a iPhone in his lap or something like that and was getting, <laughs> he was getting, he was getting, the getting prompting from, from that. So uh, it, it, they're, they're, for every solution, there is a concomitant workaround for that solution to uh, to, to cheat. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if your mom can buy you a, <clears throat> a good test score online, like, <laughs> like your admissions, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, so, th- so it's not without its challenges to to do that. And the way a, 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 a instructor or professor would design an online course is not exactly the same way it would be designed for in-class presentation. Um, you, you, if you, if you, for example, had a course where maybe a philosophy course or something like that, where the classroom dialogue would actually be part of what you expect students to pick up. How do you put that into an online course when you're, you basically have a 
a prepared presentation. You know, so uh, how do you engage that? Well, you can have chat rooms and things like that, and you can't get credit for the course unless you go in the chat room and participate and score that and things of that sort. So there are challenges, but the rewards seem pretty high because now instead of serving whatever you have the physical plant to serve, you can maybe double or triple that level of service that you can reach out to the community. And, it, and people don't have to be in Baton Rouge. Right. You know, or or Euless or Shreveport or wherever they are, uh, you could reach, for example, active military personnel uh, who were know that they were going to be leaving in a year. You know, finishing up their tour of duty, and they wanted to get a head start on some courses before they came back and had a physical presence on campus, or knew that they weren't going to be able to have physical presence on campus and wanted to get a head start. So you've got populations like that. I don't know if this is a thing or just something, you know, that I just pulled out of my rear to say, but it, perhaps you go to prisons and say, you know, here's, I, I, you've got people who are going to be getting out, uh, finishing their sentences in a, in a year or two and get some online courses under your belt in there. Uh, I, and that's, I have no idea. I've not heard that right. anywhere, uh, <laughs> but, but that's, uh, you can imagine there are many populations uh, of, of individuals that don't have access to physical campus uh, that would really greatly benefit from learning environments. I mean, people in hospitals that may be in long-term care, but not permanent care, on and on and on. You know, elderly citizens who would love to take some courses, but can't travel to a university to do it, but they would enjoy learning. So I think it's an incredible forward step, and, and LSU is really committed to making online courses a significant part of its uh, offering. Right, and with, I mean, <clears throat> with the constant advancement of, you know, technology and computers sure. and phones, it makes it that much easier to get quality educational services to yeah. the mass. Well, yeah, and, and I might actually restate what you just said just to say it's to maintain the quality of the online in-class presence to be equivalent to the quality of the online non-in-class presence. Right. Yeah. You know, now you can record lectures or even host lectures yeah. live, so they still get that same Well, that is, that's a great point. Not only do you leverage the university's store of knowledge and the ability to disseminate it to a large group of people. So that's a lever, right? Mm -hmm. Way more than we can cram into classrooms. But a professor or an instructor is leveraged because there's just so many slots in his or her day where he or she can go into a classroom and do that lecture. And now that lecture can be multiplied out many times a day without that instructor or professor actually being there at that moment. So it's yeah. kind of like email. Oh, yeah. You know, and then I can send a thousand emails to people when I'm not even at my keyboard. You know, so um, I'm not sure when I equate education to email, <laughs> but emails. you get the idea. <laughs> right. Right. So, wow, that was, that was a lot, but I loved it. Um, so how did you get so involved with that process and with LSU, like where did you? Well, it's two. It's a two-part answer, and they're they're really two different questions. Um, although you can connect them with a conjunction, let me let me break it apart. 
So I got involved. Well, first I graduated from LSU. I had four great years here. And then I left and disappeared into, you know, a black hole. (laughs) I was (laughs) completely gone. Didn't really give LSU much thought except, you know, I watch I'd watch football games and cheer and then get extremely frustrated and throw things. Um, uh, but um, so I'm chugging along in my merry life and minding my own business, and I got a phone call from what I believe was a student worker at LSU saying, um, "The president of the Alumni Association is going to be in town and wants to know if he can have lunch with you." And I'm like. No, I know what you want. I don't want to do that. No. I said, okay. So uh, my wife and I ended up going to lunch with uh, Cliff and I. And, um, and Karen Brock, who is uh, an LSU grad, who is uh, an engineer, works at Boeing, and is on the alumni board of directors, team's advisory council of the College of Business. So four of us sat down to lunch, and Cliff started the conversation by saying, you know, I kind of apologize. I don't have as much time as I thought. I've got some other commitments. So, but it's great to meet you. I wanted to kind of get you know you. So I'd say about three and a half hours later, when we were still chatting, you know, <laughs> we kind of hit it off like a house of fire. And um, I think what was the kind of like, you know, get out of here moment for him was we were talking about something and he, he mentioned the Stevens. Stevenson Entrepreneurial Institute. And I go, like, Emmett Stevenson? Tony Stevenson? He goes, yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, we were, Emmett and I were fraternity brothers. We lived around the hall from each other. And and when when I was in college, and he goes, you know, get out of here. And I said, yeah, yeah. So then Roger H. Ogden Honors College got mentioned. And I said, oh, yeah, Roger and I were roommates for you. <laughs> and he's like, get out of here. So... <clears throat> At the kind of end of this great lunch, um, Cliff said, you know, you should really come back to LSU and maybe do a guest lecture. And, you know, I'd like to introduce you to some people. And I was like, sure. And I assumed it was, you know, we should have lunch sometime. Right. right? Um, so I go back and proceed to be in my dark, cold, merry life. And um, this, because this was in May. And I guess it was probably late July or early August, I get a call from Cliff. Can you come the weekend of October, the something or another, it's the Ole Miss game that weekend, be my guest and watch the game and I want to, you know, introduce you to some people. So I was like, well, sure. So I came uh, to Baton Rouge and he said, we'll put, we'll stay at the Cook Hotel. And I'm going, the what? No idea. I'd not seen the Cook Hotel before. I had no idea it was here. So um, I got here, and there was this incredible sense of familiarity and strangeness. I mean, I I, I went walk. I got up early the next morning, and I went we went out to dinner that night and got to meet some people, and that was kind of fun. So the next morning, I got up and went walking, and I walked over through. I went over to Dalrymple and walked by the fraternity houses and. Saw my old fraternity house being torn down. Oh. And um, uh, I'm like, what the hell? Uh, but then got over uh, in the quadrangle and the parade ground and student union. And I go, yeah, it's familiar. And I turn the corner and there would be a building that I've never seen before. So it's kind of like being, 
it, it was a, maybe like a virtual reality situation where we're going like, oh, yeah, I re- oh, what are you doing to me? You know, kind of thing. So there was this kind of off-putting there. Um, but it was a great week. And as it turned out, Emmett and Tony were here that weekend for a football game and staying at the Cook, and we ended up having lunch together. And then the house had been torn down, and they were rebuilding a new house. And it turned out on that Friday to be the dedication of the new house. And Roger Ogden, who's up in New shows up. So people were there that I knew. And then I got invited. Uh, so I met Cynthia Peterson, who's the dean of the College of Science, and she invited me to sit in at their DAC meeting that week. And then met uh, Dick White, uh, dean of the College of Business, and kind of sat in on that. And... Uh, I don't know, so it's the game they, you know, we beat Ole Miss that week, so it was really a fun game, fun thing to do. I experienced tailgating at Tiger Stadium in a way that was never there before. It was like, and there's such a thing as alligator balls? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, that's a <laughs> no, staple. I don't mean to eat. I just didn't know alligators had balls. Um, but the, the, uh, it was just so, just a wonderful experience. And I, I came back, I think, pumped up full of adrenaline. And so excited, you know, all of a sudden discovered my Tiger Pride coming back. And then over the course of the next few months, I started having contact with people that I'd met before. You know, more of an academic kind of thing um, there, Ed Watson in particular. Um, And then I got an invitation to be on the Dean's Advisory Council for the College of Business. And I said, well, that kind of might be fun. So I came for the spring DAC meeting and did a couple of lectures, and then um, <clears throat> was kind of in a business meeting or something in, and uh, at one of those trips, and they were talking about, well, we should set up a trip for the entrepreneur fellows to be able to go somewhere. And I just, I don't know, it was kind of like all of a sudden sort of paying attention, and they said, yeah, well, why don't you get to Seattle? As a joke. It's just an absolute joke, thinking, who... You know, what student from Seattle would be interested in coming to Seattle? I mean, what student from Baton Rouge would be interested in coming to Seattle? So I didn't really think anything more about it. And a couple of weeks later, I get an email from saying, could you really put together a trip for (laughs) Seattle? So by a year later, we had that done and and that became a thing. And then it was a second one. And now there's going to be a third one. Um, And it was kind of an interesting comment. They said, well... We thought it would be a good idea if you did that because we could take whatever planning you did instead of going and spending a lot of money with some tour company. Right. Uh, we could take whatever you did and make that a template to then go to Boston or Austin or San Francisco or whatever with. And after the trip, we realized that the template was you because we we're not going to be able to replicate that trip right. in other places. Not that. We couldn't go places, but the connections and, and, and that sort of thing were there. So um, kind of fast forward for a bit. Um, last fall, um, I, I was back on campus and I got an invitation to go have dinner with Cynthia Peterson, who offered me um, uh, an invitation to serve on the national board of the foundation. And I thought, yeah, that's great. And only about six months later to ask, so what am I supposed to do? Um, and uh, I, the thing that kind of struck me, 
my wife was able to be an observer for me. So the thing that kind of struck me is we're at the foundation launch. The, they had the VIP party that night, uh, Thursday night. And so here's this tent that was divided into two parts. And and in the first part, they did the cocktail party. And, but they also had little uh, booths. I kind of know booths, but they were exhibits of LSU students or faculty doing astonishing things. So you got to, you know, go and see everything from animal husbandry, from the vet school of veterinary science to uh, medicine to um, the Entrepreneur Institute was there and um, biology and, and, and Madeline Smith from the Honors College who did Louisiana Gone about the loss of, you know, some of the South program and that sort of thing, loss of land in Louisiana. But... All of a sudden, I was like glad-handing a lot of people. Hey, good to see you, you know. And, and my wife finally said, you know, I thought all this time you were coming to play around. I didn't realize you were actually meeting people and <laughs> knowing uh, so many folks. And and it kind of hit me. Well, I do. And it's, it's really great. I come back here and have a great time, but get to do some great things. So I've done a lot of lecturing. I've done lecturing every time I've come back. And that's been really fun. And I realize I've put together a compendium of students who I still stay in touch with for years. Um, uh, I think four and a half years is my longest stretch of being in, in touch with students and on a continuing basis where they call me to talk about mentoring problems or just to say hello or whatever. And it gets bigger every year. And it's extremely gratifying to me. And it really is a labor of love to, to work with students like that. Um, so that's kind of like how I got involved in what I'm doing. But the other thing is, what do I do all these other things about? How do I, you know, essentially. So I, I just started asking questions, being a pain in the ass to anybody that would let me. Uh, going like, well, why are we not doing this? Why are we not going trying to recruit students like this? Why are we only? Why are we not focusing on the Pacific Northwest to try to get people? You know, I want to. I'm going to get businesses interested in hiring LSU students. Uh, I want to get businesses interested in becoming partners in research and scholarships and things like that. And in order to do that, I need to make sure we've got a pipeline of students coming in and out of there. I want to know that students who are from Louisiana who are interested in being entrepreneurs and business folks in, in Louisiana might want to come to a place like Seattle and learn about a different kind of business environment and ecosystem and then bring that back to Louisiana. Um, I tell, um, I did, a, did some lectures in social entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship and, you know, used... Uh, some less than gentle words to say, you don't have to build the next big app. You don't have to have the next big software thing, you know, website-based company to, to, to be successful. You just need to go to a poor parish in, in Louisiana and pull people out of economic hardship and out of lack of education opportunities. Use what you've learned here to do some social good. It'll fill your heart and you don't really care about your pocketbook at that time. So I think all of those things are real drivers for me. Um, uh, and um, uh, I, it's a labor of love. But at the same time, I can't help but ask questions. Because right. I've done, you know, I've, I've 
mostly, I mean, I've run some, some pretty good sized companies, but I've also done a lot of small startups uh, and smaller and run smaller businesses. And it's always like, why are you doing that? You know, so I, I remember um, bringing some VPs together when I was running a company and, and they would say, well, we need to hire some more people in order to do A, B, and C. I'd go, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll get that in the budget, get that done. And then later they would come back and say, well, I need to, you know, we, we've changed functions, so I need to hire some more people to do C, D, and E. And I go, well, what about A, B, and C? Oh, we don't do that anymore. Well, then what are those people doing? Uh, well, go reorg and figure it out. And that met with resistance. Nobody wanted to lose their fiefdom, right? But it, I and, and so they said, one of them said, nobody's ever asked me that question before. And I said, well, there you go. So I inquire the powers to be all the time. Why are we doing things this way? And sometimes the answer is by state law. Sometimes the answer is the Board of Regents says we have to. And sometimes the answer is, I have no idea. You know, uh, can we change things? No, we can't. Why? Because uh, I can't anybody cooperate with me? Or, you know what? You should really shut up and go away. <laughs> so it's a kind of a whole range of things. And I've taken the approach that uh, I'm going to poke at every place I see that from the outside and not knowing very much that I think could benefit LSU. And I'll find out about how much pushback there is of what my boundaries are, you know, what I can do, what I can't do. Um, what I was worried about is that I was being a total test. But I've actually run this by some people who are near the top of the food chain, and they go, keep doing it. This is exactly what we need. Um, and and so I keep doing it, you know, and, and it's fun. And more than that, I encourage other people to do it. Other other alumni like myself right. who, are, who are out there and involved. Uh, and some people, so I had a situation at the Dean's Advisory Council last year where they were talking about, that very flattering, had a lot of nice things to say about the Seattle trips and everything, and kind of like, little round of applause and whatever. And I said, you know, um, for all of you who are out there writing checks and you know, hiring students and everything, that is fantastic. Keep doing it. But if you aren't engaging with students, if you aren't coming and having dinner with them and talking about what they're doing and, you know, spending time do, taking, doing a lecture in a classroom or everything, you're really missing out on something that's going to make you feel great. And it's going to benefit the students more, you know, but keep writing those checks and because that's really important. And so to, I, I guess my philosophy about that is that I want people to do more, not just different. Right. Right. So I want, if, if there's, if, if you're an alum who's, you know, been generous and within your means to do so to the university, I want you to be generous in terms of your time. As well, if you uh, happen to be active and a supporter of of LSU, I want you to get ten of your alumni friends to do the same thing. You know, so is using multipliers of your time, your money, and your and your contacts to try to get them to do something. I got some feedback from somebody at the foundation who said, 
I uh, we had an event, and I met someone who walked up to me and said, you know, I've been a, um, a, a big supporter of LSU for the last 30 years. He said, that's fantastic, and, you know, and he's... And he thought to himself, he said, you know, I don't recognize the guy's name from our my donor relationships and everything. And he said, well, that's great. Uh, so what programs have you been in? He said, I have tickets on the 50-yard line and I never miss a game. And he's all like, oh, and, and your other support of LSU? He says, well, what what the hell? I buy T-shirts, and, and I, none of which is really a... a the support's appreciated, right? That fan enthusiasm is really, really a cool thing. But it, in his mind, it was total support of LSU. And LSU's people on the ground who, at the foundation, uh, who, who are, <laughs> work with support, like, that's not a thing for us. And so there, that I would have taken the approach of putting my rubber on this guy and go, let's have a talk uh, and say, here's what you could really do. You know, stay on and watch it on TV and take that money for those season tickets and send it to the foundation. So we know how that would go. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's that sort of thing. That's, a, that's an attitude that, that I guess I have. And I am proud to be able to try to use that as a, as a force to do good for LSU. So you asked me, Earlier, I think I think I kind of sloughed this off and said, you know, we'll talk about that later. About um, what I've accomplished, and and I do have people all the time that that come up to me and say, we so appreciate what you've done. And I, you know, my early on reaction to that was complete dismissal of it. Like, well, I haven't really done anything. I haven't been able to make some huge. You know, endowment. I have my name on a building or anything like that. Uh, not, and if I had the money, I wouldn't want my name on a building anyway. It's not my style. But um, uh, I, I couldn't understand it. I didn't understand where that was coming from, and so I just assumed it was someone saying, "This is our way of saying hello, nice to see you again." Which was to, I don't know what else to say, so I'm going to say thank you for all you've done. But. Um, you know, I feel it in different ways. I feel it for the students that I interact with. When I every now, when I come on campus, walk around BC, I got people of all ilk coming up to me and saying, "Hey, glad to see you," giving me hugs and then everything. It's like that's cool. Not that I expect that. Not that I want that. But it really indicates a connection um, that I have. I walk down the halls and have professors and deans and. Do the same thing. I have meetings with people, and we talk about very intense subjects and find our areas of disagreement, find our areas of agreement, and get encouragement to do more. And so I have expanded my duties only by being a pain in the ass. Right. Yeah. And and I'm not really sure I'd characterize them as duties. I, I've expanded where I try to provide support, help, and influence and ideas. Um, and, and sometimes it turns into something because I tackle it. Sometimes, you know, I don't get very far with it, but I'll figure that out and hope that I have a few more years to continue to be, you know, a proud part of LSU. So another measure would be my family. Um, 
my older son said to me, uh, so did a little bit of backstory. He, um, um, as you probably know, was very successful Kickstarter project. Very he had a, launched a venture, pretty successful in getting product out the door. Um, is a is pretty cool guy and has a lot of experience in food food science. And so there were some things going on uh, with some LSU recent alums that um, he got invited to chat with, um, you know, they had some phone calls and some emails and whatever uh, for his kind of take on what they were doing. And they, they had a very valuable set of conversations out there. And so I asked him, because um, I hadn't tracked it, and I said, oh, by the way, how'd your stuff go with the folks from LSU? So it was great. Had a really good time chatting with them. I think I gave them some really good advice. I know they're off reworking some things, and, and, and it's pretty exciting. And I said, well, gee, maybe um, if that's something you want to continue to do, sometime you'd consider coming down with me. And he goes, I would love that. I'm thinking, yeah, that would be, you know, so I've got your interest up. No. What he said was, I've never seen you so excited and happy as when you come back from all I share. And I would really like to see you and your milieu down there to understand why that is so exciting for you. So if that's, a, and my wife says the same thing, which is, wow, uh, you being old and grumpy, go down to LSU and have some fun, come back happy. <laughs> so I, I think that those are external measures that I would never see. Although I can tell you, I get so excited when that plane takes off for me to head back to Baton Rouge. And it's not because I'm going to eat some crawfish. It's because I'm going to be here uh, at a place that I've grown to re-love again. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess that's uh, my involvement in LSU. <laughs> in a, in a five-minute segment, that's your involvement in LSU. I love yeah. it. So you're just – now you're just coming back and trying to give back and put as much of an impact on LSU's future as you can. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I'd say that's fair. Well, But maybe that's too bold a statement. I would say that I take the responsibilities that I've uh, that, that I perceive as being part of the Dean's Advisory Council and being on the national board of the foundation very seriously. And so I want to serve in those roles to the highest level of my capability. And that may be smaller than I imagine, and it may be bigger than I'm capable. And I'm not sure which, but I'm testing those boundaries to make sure that I can have an impact. And so if it's nothing more than, you know, helping arrange the trips and getting to see students have a great time, see the kind of smiley faces, uh, that's kind of fun. I know today, after my lecture, I ended up with a handful of people at a table in the rotunda of the BC, and they just wanted to talk about stuff afterwards. And... Um, I found that extremely rewarding that, you know, that uh, I offered something that, that I hope would be information, you know, would, would provide them with knowledge and information and maybe a little bit of enthusiasm. And to know that that worked is just an enormous present. 
Wow. Yeah. So, um, as as they said, well, are we going to see you again soon? I said, yeah, I'm like Velcro. They can't get rid of me. I stick to everything. That's great, though. So, like, as, I guess as, you know, fresh out of college, like, I'm coming up on, I think, a year or something like that. Or, well, I'm already past a year. Yeah, you're past a year. year and a half. So, I'm coming up on a year and a half. What is something that people fresh out can do to start you know, not wait, I guess, so long. I want to start helping and giving yeah. back. So you want to do it faster than 50 years like I did? Yes. Okay. Yes, a I little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, there's two things that I would, I would say to that. Number one is from LSU standpoint, I'm going to take the, the, that standpoint first. So there's a responsibility, I think, to treat every high school student who's applying and every incoming freshman, returning upperclassman, as a future alumnus, you know, you are going to be, you're going to be in a, uh, uh, an alumnus pretty soon and we better start treating you like one. One of the things that I said to class yesterday was, you know, thank you all for, you know, for coming and paying attention. Nobody fell asleep. This was, you know, nobody left. This was pretty exciting. Um, but let me, you know, let me remind you that when you leave, I want you to do much sooner uh, than what I did, which is to come back to LSU and pay it forward to the next group of students. Um, and, and wherever you go in the world and whatever you do, you know, uh, remember your good times at LSU, but also remember the value proposition that you got here. Um, for so for a, a recent graduate like yourself, I would say so. You've got you know they, like we were talking about tensions between things to do. So you got a new house. Mm-hmm. You you try to you know you get your your new business is really launched and going and comfortable. You build a career. You build. You got a wonderful wife. Building a family. Uh, all of those things pull you away from. Yeah, I'll just be like this cool guy who you know, cool uh, alumnus who just is doing all the stuff for LSU. You need to factor in to your your life-work balance, the life-work alumni balance. Right. Right, which is to say, what can I do now? I could maybe say, go back to entrepreneurs um, administration and say, Gee, can I, you know, put put my name on a list for students? If they have an idea, they want to kick around and everything to be able to email me or give me a call, and maybe I can help them. Tiny little bit that makes a big difference, you know. You could say, gee, on Giving Day, you know, ten dollars maybe is all I can do, so I'm going to do that, right? Just some kind of token. Those things become habits. And then as you get further along in your life and further along in your career, and further along in your financial capabilities, you're already used to doing, you know, giving back of yourself and giving financially to the university. And that will happen. If you're like me, you go like, no, I'm gone. I'm off into something else. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. I should have been doing it all these years. And I will. And I will tell you something that happened as a result of getting on the national board of the foundation. I had 
reestablished some contact with people I went to high school and college with um, who were in different parts of the world, you know, different stage of their life and all of that. And I kind of like, oh, I'm on the National Board, blah, blah, blah. And I got messages from people saying, well, you know, I I would do something and to celebrate you being on the board in terms of a donation or anything like that, but I don't want my money going to, to, to LSU football. I got like, mm, no, that's not the way it works. So there's TAF, there's, you know, the Alumni Association, there's the foundation, and they're connected, but they're not the same. And when you gift something, you can designate where it's going to go. It could be for a scholarship. It could be for a particular college. It could be to the general support of the university. Um, you really have control over all those other things. So one guy in particular said, uh, who lives in way out of the country, has lived out of the country since he graduated, uh, but comes back and forth occasionally. He said, all right, I'm going to try it, and made a donation. And I got an email from him saying, you were right. It worked. And now I know he's done that every quarter. He's repeated it. And he said, I will tell you this. I made, he said, one of the reasons why I hadn't done it in a long time is that years ago, I made a donation to the LSU Alumni Association. I had never heard back. I never got an acknowledgement. I never got a thank you. I never got anything. And I said, screw them. And he said, it's completely different now. And I, I, he said, I would never have known that without you. So I've been able to lever, use a, my lever of what I do to, to gently get at least a little bit of support out of it. Um, and I, I recognize, you know, the importance of that happening early on rather than, you know, just as we're ready to kick the bucket. Right. So to you, I would say develop some habits where it doesn't cost you a lot in terms of yourself or in terms of, of financially to do some things. But as you kind of go along in your life path, you can have more personal effort. You can have more money effort and whatever, and it'll become a thing to do. And as long as you love it and remember your time here and all the good things that you had, you're going to want to do that. And then it's going to turn out to be very rewarding for you to do it. And in, at some point, maybe you can say, you know, gee, I could actually devote a day a week or, you know, a day a month or whatever it is. And, and that would be fantastic. Students would benefit from your experience, your insight, all of the rest of it. Well, yeah, I like I like that making small habits and then seeing where they blossom into a real Yeah, they, they will turn into big ones, you know, hopefully. <laughs> it just says, that doesn't mean start snorting, snorting small amounts of coke to get a habit, <laughs> but uh, I think these are positive, you know, kinds of things that you should do. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, That's... well, no, I no, thank you for even asking that kind of question because I think that's very, very indicative of the kind of person you are. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's And that's one, one of the reasons why I started this was to find a way to help as many people as I can to start finding a pattern of what people can also do outside of, you know, just normal monetary giving. Like, hey, like that email thing was huge to me. That you said, like email one of your old professors and say, "Hey, I'm an alumni. Can't write, like you said, I've got you know, I've got a pregnant wife, or I'm building a house. I can't give anything monetarily, but what can I do personally to help 
the university in some kind of way. You know, if a student has a question about some struggle they're going through, tell me, email me back. Yeah. You know, if I can, you know, come on an afternoon and help somebody with something, that's just incredible, just incredible idea to start doing that I think would blossom into, you know, like you said, we get 10 people, 10 alumnus to come back within each person's circle is huge yeah, it for is. the university. It is. Uh, and often people will fall into the trap that I fell into, which is get off and get involved in my own thing. And you, you kind of know that that's your alma mater. Right. Uh, and and I, I just don't have time. I don't, I don't have a reason to do it because I hadn't thought of the reasons to do it. I never had an exposure to that. Um, from from my time here, nobody was grooming me in, in that way. And, and it's kind of a shame because I could have done a lot more along the way. And fortunately, I had, you know, there, there were classmates of mine like Roger and Emmett who did not have that attitude, who did great things for, for LSU. And uh, I'm forever thankful for the work that they did. Um, the... Um, yeah, so here's a, here's a story I'd like to share with you. Um, not in, in, in recent times, there was a student who had been on one of the trips who's, you know, really great, wanted to talk to me about some startup ideas and sort of needed some mentoring and things of that sort. And so when I had some, we put together some time, it turned out to be one evening when I was here. And I said, hey, let's go grab a bite. And uh, said sure, so we did. We uh, sampled some food he had never had before. It's nice, but it was very casual and you know nothing to it. And as we were returning uh, to campus, he said, "I can't tell you how much I appreciate this." And I said, "Well, I'm glad to help." He said, "No, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, you know, I." first person in my family to go to college. And he said, it's been a struggle. I mean, it's been hard for me to finance all my things. I work, work really hard during the summer. I'm really feeling I'm lucky to be here. I've gotten some, some external help and whatever. Nobody has ever taken me to dinner and bought me dinner before. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I was like, whoa, that really touched me in a very strong way. So that's a, to me, it was, I mean, you know, it was some burgers. So it was a kind of a small thing that turned out to be really huge to him. And I would say that's analogous to what I was suggested to you. Might be a small thing to you that turns out to be a really big thing to the people that you were touching in that way. Uh, who will appreciate your help and counsel and advice and $10, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. So I, I think um, when the, and then when you get that first experience of that kind of feedback, someone comes up and gives you a hug, says you have helped me so much. What you told me saved me from doing something wrong. And I, and I was able to figure out what to do right on my own part. It's going to warm your heart and fill it up in a way that, I don't know how to express in any any real spoken terms, but it will happen, and you'll know it. And then you'll go, all, all the stuff I did along the way, these little things, really turned out to be a big thing. Right. Having that feeling of you're doing it more, not for yourself, but for somebody else. Yeah. And having... I, I would... You know, let me just change your vocabulary a little bit on that if I could. 
I never do it because it's going to help somebody else, right? That's never been in my mind. It's been something I really want to do. Uh, you know, I, if, if I did it and everybody fell asleep during a lecture and nobody ever called to me for mentoring, help, and everything, I would still keep coming and going like, choose me, I'm great, I want to help you, I want to help you. So it, it would, I, I would, that would not diminish me from me. Anyway. So I'd never get the social clues that I'm being a complete klutz. <laughs> but, but I would do it because I really love it. When you are lucky enough to get clues back that it's meaningful and that it, you're making a difference to people, it's just beyond words of how fulfilling that is. So if you take your kind of mission or your podcast and say, you know, I'd really like to help people around Baton Rouge, South Louisiana, maybe beyond that, uh, to be able to tackle things that they may not think they're capable of or never thought about or or inspired by other people, then that's the kind of thing that is going to return terrific rewards for you. Um, and I hope they're monetary, but they but you will definitely have the rewards of the heart. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. No, well, thank you for coming up with this idea and trying to, to make it really a good thing i think it'll work well i appreciate that um i think we've uh i think we probably should wrap up the did we, actual did we show do, itself did we did 10 minutes um, wow oh my god yeah we did it's almost eight. <laughs> oh man well, well i as i told ed watson today he said uh, i we needed to talk about some things and he said i got about 20 minutes and i i gotta be somewhere else after that i go oh holy crap i can't even take a breath in 20 minutes you know i quarter will get stuck in my slot and I just keep going and going and going. So you guys should have shut me up earlier. <laughs> no, I would that's the last now thing. Now I have I given do. you a ton of work to kind of <laughs> hack this down to, you know, a small enough set of sound bites. But that's that's the beauty of it, getting a whole lot more because you don't know where it's gonna go. And that's yeah. you know, I had somebody actually ask me, Oh, they're coming on the show later in November, like, can you send me a structure of the show? And I was like, Well yes and no. Hey, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I can send you a typical list of questions that, you know, that I'm basing the show off of that I wanted to go by. And I want we did, and I want us to cover, but we're not going to follow that. Yeah. I'm like, we're going to get in a conversation so far deep and so far beyond that there's no point in me sending you a layout. That kind of reminds me of so when my brother died. Uh, a couple of months uh, later, uh, my sister in law, um, Sponsored holding a memorial service for her. So um, she asked me if I would speak at the memorial service and say a few words. I said, sure. So about a week before uh, we were going to be traveling up there for that, I get a phone call from a guy who said, I am the pastor at this church where the memorial is going to be. And I would really, uh, I, I really need a copy of what you're going to say. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> this does not, I hear your words, but they don't mean anything to me. He says, well, your, your written work, your written comments. So I go, I don't do written comments. You know, I, I'm going to, it's my brother. I'm going to talk about my brother. So I had been kind of rehearsing in the mirror and I, I, guess I went from about 45 minutes down to about 30 minutes by doing some mental editing and things of that sort. And he said, okay, 
Um, I said, I'm just, you know, going to say some things from the heart. Is there anything I should know? He says, yes, you have three minutes. And I said, what? He said, yeah, we've got, I'm going to be speaking. There's another woman who's going to be speaking as a pastor. There's, you know, um, I forgot who else was talking. Uh, oh, my my nephew, his, his son, uh, was going to be talking. And he said, so, and then we have uh, an Air Force Honor Guard coming in, and then we have to be out of there in less than an hour for the whole thing. So you have three minutes. So it was my turn to speak. And I got up and I said, you know, uh, one of the, uh, I don't know if this is entirely true, but the story goes that Rene Descartes wrote a letter to a friend who then responded and said, your letter was way too long. And Descartes responded back, if I'd have had more time, I'd have written you a shorter letter. That's one of like my favorite things. <laughs> and I said, you know, I kind of feel like that right now. But so you're asking me to take 80 years of my brother's life and condense it down into two minutes. You know, that's impossible. Um, so I'm going to talk until I'm ready to sit down. <laughs> so I think I'm for about five minutes. But um, but I, I, that's kind of the same thing, which is, uh, you know, it can be rehearsed or it can be from the heart. Yeah, you know, and and uh, I my mind does not cue itself up to go by scripted things. I have done a lot of public speaking, and I have never done it off a of written text. Wow, it, that's not true. That is not true. I gave a speech in Germany in German. So you had to read it in had, German. I had to read it, and I did a terrible job of doing that. And I said, I will never do this again. So, um, but. Yeah, so I, I I appreciate your giving me the latitude to just kind of ramble on. Oh, it was great. I loved it. So I uh, just want to say thank you, Larry, oh, you're for coming. Welcome. And uh, everybody, listen to the Patty G Show. This is Patrick Grimmion signing off. so much for listening to the patty g show it would mean the world to me if you could take just a few moments and give the show a five star rating and click that subscribe button also if you want to help me out be sure to tell all your friends and family about the show and if you or someone you know wants to be on the show be sure to have them reach out to me through the facebook page at the patty g show and as always i hope you have a fantastic day i hope you challenge yourself in some way to help those around you and If there's anything I can do to help you with that, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks. Have a great day.